0: Welcome to Lost in the Movies. This episode covers the documentary, Blue Velvet Revisited. And it ties into a couple other podcasts. One was on this uh, feed, uh, let's see, two years ago, I did an episode on Blue Velvet, the David Lynch film. And uh, at that time, I recorded this about the documentary, which is a special feature on the Criterion uh, disc, as a, a bonus for patrons. And uh, I enjoyed this movie a lot, so I wanted to share this in its own right, as I'll talk about it's not just kind of an addendum to Blue Velvet, but kind of an interesting historical artifact itself. And I'll also be releasing another episode on Blue Velvet on my Twin Peaks cinema feed, where I compare films to Twin Peaks. Uh, This will be coming out also this month, so stay tuned for that. ...on the Twin Peaks Cinema feed, so you get your fill of blue velvet in March. As always, if you have any thoughts on this film or any of the others I've covered, please send feedback. I'll be happy to read that uh, on this podcast, an upcoming episode. The previous episode covered the Laurie Anderson documentary, Heart of a Dog. So check that out. That was for February. And uh, before we get to this main episode, I just want to share some of the work that I've been up to elsewhere... On my site, lostinthemovies.com, I've been conducting a Twin Peaks character series. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I put up these entries on the different characters where I describe what they're up to in their episodes. Then I look at impressions of Twin Peaks through their eyes and their character journey. I rack up stats of which episodes they're in, how much screen time, etc. And uh, some additional observations. It's all illustrated with screenshots of the characters. So this was something I did back in 2017. I've been meaning to resume it for years to update it for the return, plus I had never reached the top characters that first time, and so now I'm finally doing it. So it's been going since early January, and the the uh, entries that have gone up since uh, I last updated you on this, on this podcast are Gersten Hayward, number 79, Beverly Page at 78, Daria at 77. Again, these are all ranked in order of screen time, so... We're going to end with the character with the highest screen time. Number 76, Detectives T.D. and Smiley Fusco. The Roadhouse Patrons at number 75. Becky Burnett at number 74. Betty Briggs at number 73. Uh, Some notes on an old entry. Black Rose, Blackie O'Reilly at number 72. She's only in the old series, so I didn't need to update her old entry that I'd written before, but I did add a new intro to it. FBI Chief of Staff Denise Bryson at number 71. Carl Rodd at number 70. Some more notes on an old entry, Andrew Packard at number 69, and then Hutch and Chantel Hutchins at number 68. That one up today. So hopefully you have some familiarity with Twin Peaks. If you're listening to a Blue Velvet uh, podcast, let alone a a podcast about a Blue Velvet documentary, uh, you're probably deep in the Lynchverse. So you know who all these characters are. If you don't, uh, check out Twin Peaks. and You'll have much more, many more reference points for what I talk about. Uh, on my other podcast feeds, on the Twin Peaks Cinema feed, where I've been doing the series The Lynchverse, which will climax with Blue Velvet this month, I covered for number, episode number 22 in February, Eraserhead, comparing that to Twin Peaks. And for Twin Peaks Conversations, episode number 18, audio only, went up on YouTube with a Blue Rose Task Force host, John Bernardi, where he and I talked uh, about his work, and what he does. Uh, number 19 uh, audio only went up late in February with the guest uh, Anthony, who is behind the account Twin Peaks Grammar on YouTube and Twitter. He also hosts a podcast called Artists Love Twin Peaks. So we had a lot to talk about there. And on Patreon, on the $5 months month here, you can get the back parts of both of those conversations, the Patreon exclusives. Uh, Part 2 with John Bernardi, and Part 2 with Twin Peaks Grammar. For the dollar-a-month patrons, I published an exclusive advance for the character series, as I do every month. It's going to start going weekly soon, where I'm at least a month ahead of uh, whatever's going up at the public. So in this case, I put up character entries for numbers 51, 50, and 47. uh, Skipping over some, because 49, 48, and 46 were uh, already published Characters who don't appear in season three, so they're part of the old 2017 series. But three newer, revised entries went up. I won't reveal who the characters are, that's for uh, patrons as well as being able to read the full entries there. For the main podcast that I've been doing since 2018, but is now coming to an end, so five years uh, on Patreon. Um, So, you know, many of these film reviews have gone public afterwards. A lot of the stuff has never been released publicly, so it's just patron exclusive in that archive. Uh, All patrons have access to that. But I've been putting up new episodes and uh, part of a decade series since August, and that's all coming to an end. So episode 99, a 50s bonus concluding the zeros and 60s. All that heaven allows, capsules on Jailhouse Rock, Sweet Smell of Success from Here to Eternity, Bell Book and Candle, The Manchurian Candidate, Butch Casting, The Sundance Kid, The Departed, Mystic River, The Descent, Saw, Idiocracy, Anchorman, Zoolander, Fahrenheit 9-11, Archive Readings of Some Came Running, Kiss Me Deadly and Funny Face, and Feedback Media Work Updates, including A Goofy Movie and more. So all those short, like less than 10-minute reviews, sometimes just a couple minutes, uh, talking about a film, not even reviews necessarily, but reflections on them, but all that heaven allows is a full film in focus, where I spend time uh, talking about that film in in greater detail. Episode 99B, The Tens in January and Beyond, had Under the Skin as its film in focus. And uh, I talk about the novel there as well. Now, this may actually appear publicly on this feed in a couple months. Usually I wait at least six months after anything goes up on Patreon to share it with the public. But uh, in this case, because I'm probably going to go on hiatus after this season, uh, I thought let's get that in for the public uh, a few months after it's Patreon. So, but there's a lot of other stuff on there that will stay just on Patreon, including the capsules on Jurassic World, Knives Out, American Sniper, Mad Max: Fury Road, It Follows, Personal Shopper, The Phantom Thread, Fahrenheit 119, Uncut Gems, Gravity, Straight Out of Compton, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, The Big Short, Joy, Mother, Fruitvale Station, Carol, The Witch, Hereditary, The Love Witch, Looper, Thirteenth, Snowden, Birdman, Bur- Bridesmaids. Baby Driver, The Great Gatsby, John Wick, and Archive Reading of The Force Awakens, and more. So, big podcast there. That was one of my biggest, both of those parts are over three and a half hours long, so lots to dig into there if you're interested. And then finally, for the public, up on Patreon, but available to everybody, because they're part of this episode, but they consist entirely of stuff that I'd written before, so no reason to put it behind a paywall, were the episode 99 prologue, Zeitgeist Fiction, for the teens... 2010s archive and episode 99 epilogue a decade of olympics for the 2010s archive reading pieces that i'd written from that decade or about that decade and uh, also on my site i have cross posts for the john Bernardi conversation and that belated january patreon so that was a big uh, roundup of work let's move on from there to blue velvet revisited and they don't stop and they have all this armor on them and they're well organized Blue Velvet Revisited was shot in 1985 by Peter Bratz and released in 2016. And it was included on this Criterion disc in 2019. The Hollywood Reporter reviewed the film, described it as a quietly mesmerizing sensory experience with a distinctive rhythm and look that makes it a standalone artwork rather than a mimetic mirror of its subject. And I think that's a pretty good description because I had heard of the predecessor to this film before. Uh, it was actually shot. So it, it, the footage was shot on Super 8 in the 80s during the production of Blue Velvet and released a few le- years later, very limited way, as uh, No Frank in Lumberton, which is referencing a kind of a comedic line that uh, Kyle McLachlan says at one point on the soundtrack, because there's, uh, even though the sound is not synced, there's audio clips played as well as the Super 8 footage. And there's also another title that is referenced in the uh, credits for the Mysteries of Love documentary by the same director called Ear at His Soul. So I'm guessing he compiled the footage a few different ways before it came out in this version um, in, the, in the 2010s, which was inspired in part by the music of Cult with No Name, a, in a uh, sort of art band that he uh, heard the music of, and it sparked new ideas for him with this footage, and he got them to... Uh, compose for this film in a collaboration with Tuxedo Moon and John Fox and do the score for this. So as the footage is transformed into this form, uh, it's possible it may lose a little bit of the avant-garde edge because you have titles with, like, actors' names occasionally and you have some interviews and uh, and they kind of are interspersed within much more experimental stretches of just kind of raw footage and almost abstract images and experimental music on the soundtrack. So, I uh, I'd be I'd be curious to see the original No Frank and Lumberton, the version that he made in the 80s. Uh, I remember seeing a little clip somewhere and just being totally entranced. I don't know if it was a YouTube clip or if it was featured in a documentary and I was like, "Oh, I want to see this so bad." Uh this was like 2014 or so, uh back when um I was first getting back into Twin Peaks and uh, uh, even so though this is a pretty entrancing version of it um the music contributes to the overall effect i think uh as well as more indirectly the passage of time in a way that probably wouldn't be present in this in the more original cut of it now i thought that i had seen this documentary that it was a special feature on the disc that i rented several years ago and as mentioned the criterion actually came out after that so I didn't realize it, but I, I saw the list of the features. I thought, okay, two different documentaries on Blue Velvet, um, Blue Velvet Revisited. Yeah, I was really keen to see that at the time. I, I think I saw it on the disc, but I don't remember much about it. That's weird. And about five to ten seconds into watching this, I sure as hell had not seen this before. It was so striking right away. It actually starts with footage of an airplane wing out the window as uh, the guy It's it combined with like documents that he had corresponded with Lynch to, to, to sort of set up why he's over in America visiting this production, this, this German guy, the filmmaker who made this film. And there's a, a shot later in the uh, film where there's an airplane crossing over and he is, uh, I don't know if he's holding the camera down or if he's getting, Lynch. somehow he's got Lynch's head shot from directly underneath, so his head looming over the frame and the airplane is over his head uh, just an airplane in the distance flying through the sky that happened to be there at the time. And he tracks it so that Lynch is walking the whole time, like with the airplane zooming over his head. And it's the perfect metaphor for this movie. Uh, it's the perfect visualization of Lynch's creative process. And it's just a great image on its own. I have to say watching this whole film, I got so many ideas, including stuff I talked about in the twin peak cinema section on blue velvet, just from watching this documentary uh, it's a fascinating experience to me as well because the way I came to Blue Velvet was, you know, initially being sort of disappointed with it, not exactly being what I expected after seeing Mulholland Drive first and warming up to it over the years. But I've always been a little more distanced from it than other Lynch films, And but this sort of vision of it, this, this the behind-the-scenes avant-garde documentary, in a weird way almost brought me closer to it in some ways than just watching the film itself. Um, it, it's sort of another door, like another entrance in, sort of like how Lynch talks about an inland empire with, you know, walking through the alley to get to the palace instead of through the marketplace or that type of thing. It's, it's like another way into the same world, although as the Hollywood Reporter Review points out, this is a distinct work in its own right. Something that really struck me about this film, in contrast to to Blue Velvet, is that it exists in history. So Christine McKenna says in uh, the Room to Dream biography slash autobiography that she wrote with Lynch, she writes, in Lynch's realm, America is like a river that flows ever forward, carrying odds and ends from one decade into the next, where they intermingle and blur the dividing lines that we've invented to mark time. So this is true. It's a wonderful description. It also ties into uh, Lynch's theory of period filmmaking where he's, he's talked about how it's difficult to make a period film because you can't just have objects from that specific time whenever it's taking place. Somebody's going to have a couch from several decades earlier and maybe a car from one decade earlier. You have to get the mix of historical elements just right. But it's worth noting that when he tells that sort of story or that, that he offers that perspective, he offers it as a reason why he doesn't make period films. So in a way, I would almost sort of distinguish what, Christine McKenna is talking about. So I think she's describing a truth about history and a truth about the way that Lynch makes films. But I do think there is an aspect of like history or period that he purposefully does not include and that is different from the way time really unfolds. I would say, I mean, I'm kind of a believer in history myself, I think, in a way that maybe... um, I wouldn't say Lynch and McKenna aren't, but are less interested in. To me, there's an element of of zeitgeist that uh, Lynch's style avoids, but which Bratz's work in this film is just poignantly saturated in. So it's hard to describe. Again, this is like an avant-garde film, so to sort of relay that experience, you have to kind of run alongside it and hope that people are interested enough and maybe they see it and then they can kind of connect it to what you're talking about or just... Kind of have an image in their own mind as you talk about it, but for example, there are these black and white photos, which I find like particularly heartrending in a strange way. Uh, they just they cut right through to a moment in a way that makes you feel both like you're there, but also like you're viewing it from a great distance, from a from a, a recollection of something you experienced yourself. So you're almost experiencing it twice in some way. And uh, certainly with the Super 8 footage, just the gorgeous kind of grungy quality of it is so alive. And they did a beautiful restoration job on it. And again, the music, too. Like, I, I don't want to underrate that aspect because that the music just weaves you through it in this way. Like, it's tapping into the kind of—it uh, reminds me of how— with the Twin Peaks pilot, I always felt like there was this sort of buried emotion throughout it, even when the characters are grieving and crying on a little distance. And then at the end, when Julie Cruz starts singing, somehow, ah, uh, there, now suddenly what was what was kind of felt at a distance is now right there, overwhelming you somehow. So uh so, so the film is is a really vivid experience in that way. And and I also have to say, for me personally, just watching it, I was kind of um, uh, how would I put it? I was affected by the fact that this was shot in 1985. I was about two years old. I don't remember that time. But this world that they're showing in some ways was my cradle. You know, this was the world that I first came into as... a, and And everyone's going to have their own version of that. So that's obviously something that's just personal to me but it's it's kind of fascinating to think about that watching it and feeling these little tendrils like you're almost smelling it when something pops up like a a, 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 just the way i mean so with blue velvet uh it's purposefully out of time, you know, where they have these kind of 50s elements, but then you have Jeffrey with a little earring and stuff. So it's surreal in a whole different way to watch this documentary and see everybody's got, like, the mullets and the certain type of, like, popped collar and, like, just the look of the 80s while they're in this environment shooting this film. And also, in one way, it makes you appreciate how much Lynch left out, like how much he filtered out to get his vision on screen because you see all of the surrounding kind of 80s, but the cars. I mean, that's one thing I don't even, cause I'm not a big car person. I don't really think about cars, but the way he chooses the cars in this film. And then you look at like the eighties kind of dumpy cars that are, that are driving around, uh, around the actual set. And you're like, Oh yeah, that never would have worked in this way that these old, like uh, the, you know, Cadillacs or whatever that they're driving around at various points do. So that's one thing, but then the clothing and the hairstyles and everything to see what he, included in what he left out gives you a new appreciation for the film but it also um, it, it also places the film in a way that just somehow makes it more powerful like it's rising out of this specific moment in history that this tide that is carrying everybody along and 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 to again bring it back to kind of that feeling of connection it's like I could see something and be like that's right like I remember very vaguely probably from a few years after this of like people dressing or or wearing something in a certain way or like a room being designed in a certain way that that relates to this I that I'm that I'm seeing also it was interesting for me to look at again that kind of urban feel that I talked about in Blue Velvet itself how in this film um you know in the behind the scenes for did you get more of like a vista at some points like when they're going up those stairs where Jeffrey walks up um in the film itself, you're very focused on the stairs and going up the apartment. And in the Criterion special feature where they have, they go back with the steady cam operator and he's walking up the steps and describing it. They shoot it in a similar way where it looks like identical to how it looks in the film. It was actually amazing how much it didn't change. But in this documentary, in, the, in Blue Velvet Revisited, there's a shot where the cameraman is standing up there looking out over the people shooting it. And you can see this whole. I think it's like a park and like a city in the background and stuff. And it gives it a whole different flavor to know just what's off screen. So I'm somebody who has always, I appreciate the narrowing effect. I also appreciate the expanding effect. And like, I want to have a foot in both worlds in some way. So I love the fact that this documentary exists alongside Blue Velvet. But again, with so I, I kind of went off on a tangent there. But the fact that it has that kind of urban milieu a little bit that he's walking around. And that was evocative to me as well because it made me was, I was kind of thinking about this, how I, in 1985, I actually lived in New York. Um, My parents were living there for a few years. So somehow that experience was sort of ingrained in my subconscious. Like I had a very strong sense of what New York was. Granted, I visited a few times as a little but, but even, but more, more than that, obviously from these kind of Memories of being like one or two there before I could really remember anything. So not actually remembering it, but having that kind of afterglow, it was making me think about the fact that you know because after that I ended up moving to like a quieter kind of small town environment where I grew up. It's almost like I had my my version of Lynch's Philadelphia as an infant. So it, it, there's like a weird reversal where somehow that's the fundamental part underlying the more like small townish kind of. Uh, of of environment, so i don't know i mean that's that's that was a random personal thought that struck me, but I feel like anybody watching this film because it's so kind of raw and subjective would have their own kind of personal uh, uh, uh epiphanies and and things occurring to them both about themselves and about the the film itself so I would, I would actually really love to hear other people's uh, impressions or thoughts after watching this film. I think you have to rent the Criterion, or uh, you know, buy or whatever. Watch the Criterion. I'll bet you though they have it on Criterion Channel. If you if you have access to that, I'm sure that this would be on there. So if you can see this, um, I'd just love to hear other people's impressions because it, to me it was such a distinctive thing to be both um, related to Blue Velvet but also have this this life of its own and bring something new to blue velvet in being that that different thing and i don't know i just <laughs> i'm i'm kind of rambling here but it it had such a strong effect on me i'm so glad that i was able to watch that and give it its own space uh in this discussion even separate from the film that's it for this episode make sure you rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts, best way to get this scene and uh, you can become a patron on patreon.com slash lost in the movies. I mentioned that main podcast is winding down, but I do have one more big one coming out that's going to be uh, film and focus uh, exclusive, where it's just all longer reviews of multiple movies. I'm hoping maybe a dozen or so. We'll see how many I get to. Um, that will go up sometime. I'm hoping mid March, but maybe, may have to wait till April because of logistics. As I said, make sure to stay tuned. Look on the Twin Peaks Cinema feed for the upcoming uh, Blue Velvet. comparison to Twin Peaks, and of course I've got the older episode on this, Lost in the Movies, that will be linked below where you can listen to my coverage of the film itself. My next episode on this podcast will be another documentary. This isn't supposed to be a themed season, but so far it's kind of had a theme of uh, uh, mostly, well, I guess uh, the first film, Marie Antoinette, was not a documentary, but the next one, this one, and the previous one all were... And uh, somewhat experimental documentaries at that, so interesting. Uh, this whole season, the only thing tying them all together will be that they're all from 21st century movies. Um, last season was American Classic, so interesting to uh, shift there. But this one is an Adam Curtis film made in the heat of the war on terror a few years after 9-11, The Power of Nightmares. So here's a little clip of that to take us out into next time. But much of this threat is a fantasy which has been exaggerated and distorted by politicians. It's a dark illusion that has spread unquestioned through governments around the world, the security services and the international media.